Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. How many of you desire to have the best year of youth camp ever? I don't know who's hooting, but I appreciate that. I don't know. Go Peyton. We are one week away from youth camp. It starts next Sunday. I don't know what the pastor has in for me that two years in a row he drops the Sunday before camp on my shoulders. Uh, But here we are. This morning, I have no doubt that this message came from God. I could share with you why I know that, but I have absolute assurance of that. But what I also know is that, uh, Brother Miguel's not in here, but he could attest to this, preaching is a funny thing. You spend a lot of time asking the Lord to tell you what to preach, and you pray, and you pray, and pray, and then he tells you, like, oh, Lord, (laughs) really? And this week, I have had to live this message. I've had to have this preached to me, but I have no doubt that we all need this morning. This is the question I want to ask us this morning. How many of you desire to be a happy camper? (laughs) Try not to smile as you raise your hand. How many of you want to be a happy camper? Amen. How many of you want your spouse to be a happy camper? Amen. How about your children? How about the kids on your team? How about the people in your prayer stations or your daycare or your kitchen? Do you want them to be happy campers this morning? Some of you are like, Lord, bring the pastor back. (laughs) This morning, I want to take a look at a promise given to us by Jesus himself. It's a promise, folks. It is a guarantee given by Jesus for happiness. Is that interesting, anybody? Jesus says, if you will do this, if you will commit your ways to this concept, I, Jesus, absolutely guarantee you will be a happy camper. Amen. So, stand with me as we read in John chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse number 1. John chapter 13. We read in verse 1, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. Aren't you grateful for the enduring love of Jesus? And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse number 3, look at this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and that he would go to God, this is what Jesus did in knowing that. Verse 4, he riseth from supper and he laid aside his garment and he took up a towel and he, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Verse number 12, 
So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, you say, Well, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash the feet of one another. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Listen, if ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. You join me in prayer this morning, church. God, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we're just so grateful and overwhelmed for your faithfulness, Lord. You are so good. But Lord, ultimately this morning, Lord, I, I know without a doubt that you've given this message, Lord, how you have proven that to me, and I thank you for doing that. But Lord, how I know that between these folks and your word, there stands a man here who is a great problem. And God, I just ask that you would remove him out of the way, God. I ask that you would get Josh completely out of the way, Lord, and that my hands and my feet and my heart and my mind and my mouth, God, may all that I am be accessible and available to you. God, I can do absolutely nothing without you. And so, Lord, you're going to have to do the doing this morning. Lord, it's up to you. It's not up to me if they receive this message. It's your problem, not mine, whether they hear it. It is on your shoulders, Lord, whether they understand and whether they leave change this morning. It is not mine. And God, I say thank you for what you'll do. And I ask, Lord, for clarity this morning and that you would take control. God, you're good at what you do. And I'm thankful that we can call on you and not rely on this pitiful man that stands before us. Lord, I trust you this morning. We need you, and I say thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this may be the absolute strangest text that any crazy guy could take the Sunday before camp. And yet the Lord has really been pressing this message into my life this week because, as I've already said, I've had to live it before I could teach it. But besides the crucifixion, this intimate scene that we find here in the Gospels, is one of the most well-known scenes among Jesus and his disciples. Even here at this church, right, when we practice communion, it is not unusual for us to come together and to get down and to wash one another's feet. But what I want to ask us this morning is this, the same question that Jesus asked his disciples in verse number 12. Know ye what he has done. Do you understand what's going on in this verse? Do you really grasp that? Do you really comprehend what the example was that Jesus was giving to his church? Because he wasn't necessarily telling us to take up a towel. He wasn't necessarily telling us to take off one another's shoes. What was Jesus saying here? Jesus was giving us the example of the hope of happiness. In verse 3, we find the consciousness of Christ. The consciousness of Christ, number one. John tells us in verse 3 that he, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this is what he was thinking at this time. This thought is what brought on his actions. Knowing that God had given him all things, and knowing that he had come from God, and knowing he would go to God, with that on his mind, Jesus rose up to bow down. Does that blow anyone else's mind? 
Because of how high and holy God was, Jesus got down in a lowly posture. Jesus, God himself, in the flesh of a man, looked inward at the deity that dwelt within him, and as a result, he bowed himself down in humility. I've been in church for a long time, my whole life, and yet nearly never before have I seen believers who have the reaction that Jesus has when seeing the highness of God. By instinct, what do we do when we worship, when we come into the presence of God? We raise our hand. We draw attention to ourselves. We lift up our hands, not lower our hands. When we're really blessed, we'll stand to our feet, not fall to our knees. When we experience the presence of God, we get louder, not softer. When we see God bless a ministry, we point to ourselves, not away from ourselves. And yet Jesus here demonstrates a cause and effect. He, he demonstrates a precise, educated decision because he saw the highness of God. Jesus chose to lower himself. Biblically, the pastor touched on this a little bit last week, but biblically, this has always been men's reaction to the presence of God, right? We talked last week in Sunday morning service about the, the man named Job, right? The Bible says he was a just and upright man, and yet after he interacted with God, the Bible says that Job lowered himself. He humbled himself in the presence of God. We read of Isaiah, right? A prophet, a godly man. And yet what did he say? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. We find Saul on Damascus Road. The Son of God comes on the road. It's a bright light, and what happens? He falls to the ground. We find Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. All of a sudden, Jesus starts glowing. And what do they do? They fall to the ground. Every time the presence of God shows up, men's reaction has always been to bow down. And yet today, we claim that our services around the world are filled with God's presence. We claim that our lives are filled with God's presence, and yet we are lacking the posture of his presence. Lowness, meekness, humility. So the uncomfortable question we have to ask this morning is this, what gives? What gives? What has happened to our humility? I heard a preacher say this. He said, one of the surest ways to know if you are not humble, is if you think you are. That's about the gist of it. That is about the, maybe you've already, yeah, that's about the gist of it. If you think you're humble, chances are you are not. To be completely honest with you all, I've had a whole lot of personal introspection this week. I have prayed time and time again that the Lord would just reveal to me any pride or any place in my life where I've yet to lower myself but what I've come to realize is that, unfortunately, we lack an understanding of what humility really is. Because humility is not thinking low of yourself. That's not humility. Because I believe here that Jesus did not bow his knee in humility. He did not wash the disciples' feet because he thought he was lesser than them. He didn't bow down to wash their feet because he thought he was a pitiful person. He didn't bow down his feet because he knew he didn't measure up. That's not why Jesus did this. Do we see that? That is not humility. Jesus was not thinking less of himself. Instead, he was thinking, listen, of himself less. Do we see the difference? He wasn't thinking less of him. He was thinking of him less. Jesus even tells them, we already read it, he says, you call me Lord, you call me Master, and that's great because I am. And yet even though I am in that position, 
still I have lowered myself. Jesus is saying, I'm not looking at who I am. I'm discarding my identity. I'm discarding the prestige that I'm due. He says, Jesus, he's thinking of himself less so that he could think of the disciples more. That is humility. It's easy to have a low self-esteem. That's easy. It's easy to think you're pitiful. It's easy to mope around and pout about your flaws and your failures. But do you recognize that's not humility? By definition, that's not humility. Why? Because you're still thinking about you, even if it's badly. (laughs) You're still the center of your attention. Everybody look up here. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Hello, hello, wake up. I'm not the pastor, so I can do this this morning. That's better. Folks, when you are thinking about yourself, when you are on your mind all the time, when you are the center of your attention, that is called pride. That is a lack of humility. Amen, class. Amen. Amen. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, that's not me. Folks, it's all of us. It's called humanity. It's called the human race. It calls us pride. It's part of the fall. We're going to leave for camp in a few short days. How many of you are excited? Hands up, hands up, hands up, hands up, hands up, hands up. Wave them to the left, wave them to the right. Are you excited to go to camp? Amen. Yeah. Can I tell you it's going to be uncomfortable? It's going to be hot. I promise you if it's not hot, I promise you no matter what, it is going to be smelly. <laughs> Folks, are going to be 500 kids there. It's going to be smelly. It's going to be hot. At times, it's going to be uncomfortable. There may be dirt in the rooms. There may be 500 cranky, cantankerous people. Yet, can I tell you, they are not your biggest hindrance to the week of camp. The people are not your biggest problem. The heat is not your biggest hindrance. You are. If you come to camp and you're concerned about where you're going to sleep or when you're going to get to eat or when you're going to get to see this or if you're going to get asked to do that or if you don't get asked to do that, listen, the truth is you're lacking the mind of Christ. Why? Because you're thinking about yourself. He did not think about himself. You're going to get to camp, and like Christ at camp, every year we see this, like Christ, you're going to see God at work. Are you grateful? Hands up, hands up. Are you grateful that God still works? You're going to get to camp, and you're going to see God working. But we face a decision as we see him working. Will you, like Christ, humble yourself because of that work, or will you leave what you've seen him do and turn back your attention to yourselves? One of my favorite passages in all the Bible, we've looked at this in Sunday school many times, it's found in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 verse 3 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Are Americans allowed to have that in their Bible? Is that constitutionally acceptable? Hello. We've got a whole document our government has built upon that talks about my rights, and this is saying... Get rid of them. Look at their rights. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, esteem one another more than yourselves. Verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Verse 5. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. 
and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Paul tells us to have a lowly mind. He says, don't look on your own things. Don't set your mind on yourself, on your needs, but instead think of yourself less. Set your mind on the things of others. Why, Paul? Why in the world would I ever want to do that? Paul says the reason is because the mind of Christ is now in you. And that's the mind he had then, and so that's the mind you should have now. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked upon this earth, this is just common sense, folks. When Jesus walked upon this earth, when Jesus' mind told his left foot to take a left step, guess what his left foot did? It took a left step. When Jesus' mind, here as a man on earth, told his right hand to wave, guess what his right hand did? Folks, this is not rocket science. What did his right hand do? It waved. What does that mean? The body listened to the mind of Christ. But though Jesus, the man, the flesh form named Jesus, is not here on earth now, can I tell you, his body still is. I'm looking at it. Y'all are the body of Christ. Kevin, you all are the body of Christ. What's that mean? It means that just as his head, his mind, controlled his body then, his mind should control his body now. Folks, Paul says, have the mind of Christ. What does that look like, Paul? Lowliness. Humility. Serving others. Esteeming others more than yourselves. Laying down your reputation. Laying down your identity. This word made here, he says, made himself of no reputation. This word made literally means emptied. Jesus was a man who emptied himself for others. Jesus literally emptied himself of his reputation, his rights, his wants, his thoughts, his word. He emptied himself on behalf of others. This has been my prayer for years. I pray this every single day in my life. Lord, give me your mind emptied for others. Though Jesus could have sat in the perfection of heaven, though he could have been preoccupied with his own preeminence, he instead humbled himself. He ridded, emptied himself of his own reputation, of his own worth, of his own value, so that he could be filled with the greatest need of humanity. The mind of Christ is emptied for others. That is the mentality. That is the mindset of Christ. And so folks, that should be the filter that we live our lives by. In all that we do, in every place that we go, in all that we say, we should have the mind of Christ emptied for others. Why? Because that's how his mind worked. And we now are controlled by his mind. And it's for this reason that Jesus tells his followers not to take thought for tomorrow. Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll drink. Don't, don't pack a second cone. Don't bring your change purse. Not because we're slothful, not because we don't care. But Christ is saying, don't think about yourselves. Let me think about you. We don't even cross our own mind because our cares are now in the hands of him who is vastly more qualified for our needs than we ever could be. How many of you know if you're humbled, 
Or how, rather, how do you know if you're humbled or not? How do you know? So we've already said if you think you are, you're not. So how do you know if you are humbled or if you're not? Well, Jesus gives us here in this text in John 13 a surefire way, a litmus test, if you will, for humility. He gives us that if you will have the consciousness of Christ, it will lead you to the cares of Christ. The cares of Christ. Look at verse number 5. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherein he was girded. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garment and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye not what I have done? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should have done to you. This, in my opinion, is one of the most audacious and one of the most shocking scenes in all of the New Testament. Maybe all of the Old Testament. We really can't wrap our minds around what's happening here. We can't grasp the enormity of this scene. I want you to imagine tomorrow morning, you wake up and your doorbell rings. And so you scurry over there in your bunny slippers and your cup of coffee and open your door. And there on your front porch stands the Queen of England. And it is funny. And there she stands in her perfect little pink hat and her perfect little pink suit and her perfect little pink skirt and her perfect little pink pocketbook. There's the Queen of England on your porch. And so you're a little shocked, a little surprised. Wasn't expecting that this morning. And so you're thinking, I didn't even buy crumpets. I don't even own tea. Like, I, I don't know. Do I curtsy? Do I tip my what do I? And there stands the Queen of England on your porch. But without saying a word, she walks right past you, right inside of your house. And she walks right down your hallway. And she walks right into your bathroom. And there the Queen of England stoops down on her hands and knees. And out of her little perfect pink pocketbook, she pulls out a sponge and soap. And there, the Queen of England, on her hands and her knees, she begins to scrub your toilet. We would be appalled. We would be totally blown away. We could not conceive this in our mind. Peyton has already showed us that's ridiculous. Why? Because of who she is. She's the Queen of England. She has no business cleaning my toilets. Amen? And yet what Christ does here is a bajillion, 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 bajillion times bigger. Hello. What Christ does here is so vastly more significant. It was so below Jesus to wash the feet of mere mortal men. The Bible says we're vapors in the wind. It says we're here today, gone tomorrow. We're nothing. We're grains of sand. We're ants, right? We are pitiful, pathetic people who aren't going to last. Jesus had no business washing feet. He is too holy. Amen? He is too righteous. Amen? He is too mighty, too powerful to ever bow down and wash the filthy feet of these tiny, pitiful contentious creatures that he's created. And yet, catch this, folks, he did it anyways. 
This is the litmus test for humility. Listen up here. If you're going to camp, you need to hear this. This is the litmus test for humility. Are you willing to do what you shouldn't have to do? Read that again. Are you willing to do what you should not have to do? Is there anything, absolutely anything that is below you, beyond you, anything that you are simply not going to do, you are not willing to do on God's behalf? If the answer is yes, you lack the mind of Christ. You lack the care of Christ. I told Sister Tina last week that in a lot of ways this message is her fault. Uh, she testified a few weeks ago about how she was praying to the Lord. She publicly told us that when she gets to camp, she's already told the Lord whatever he wants, she is willing to do. Can I just tell you that's risky? I know what goes on at camp. That is a risky prayer. Listen, that girls, there are some things they don't want to do. Amen. 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 Does she really know what she's signing up for? Does she know what she's praying? Quite frankly, that's almost dumb. And yet that is humility. There are some jobs you just don't want to have to be asked to do. Scrubbing toilets for 500 people will be one of them, whether you're the Queen of England or not. What if, what if the Lord asked Tina to be a substitute counselor on Thursday with the Mestival? What if, what if some reason a sinkhole opens up, eats all the daycare workers, and Tina has to watch all 30 kids by herself? There you go. What, what, if, what, if, what if she has to clean all 300 gallons of slime off the grass in the heat by herself without, with a toothbrush? What if the Lord asks her? What, what, if, what if she has to clean up all the barf from the dining room hall that someone slid in and fell in? What if she has to be the one to clean that while everyone else gets to eat? What if he asked her to sit with that difficult youth leader that none of us want to sit with? I said it. What if he asks us to sit with that problematic pastor that gets on our nerves? What if he asks... All right, old folks, I love you. What if he asks you to get up two hours early to pray every morning? Give me the slime and the children. Not the... <laughs> what if he asks you to go out of your way to invest in that troubled kid? Are you willing to do what seems inconceivable for you to have to do? What I desire for us to recognize this morning is that if you're not willing to do that, you do not have the care of Christ. Why? Because Christ did what he should have never had to do. He humbled himself to a position below him in order to serve those around him. And we, Paul says, have the mind of Christ. We have the same calling upon our lives. Maybe you're thinking, I have a job to do. Thank goodness I have a job to do at camp. Oh, I'm safe. <laughs> Ask yourself, what if Jesus would have had that mentality? Do you know Jesus kind of has a lot on his plate? He's kind of busy, right? Jesus had a lot going on. He was up in the heavens, you know, sustaining all of life juggling the solar systems, right? He's, Jesus is completely keeping all of everything together. He had a job to do. He was kind of busy. What if he had that mentality? Well, I can't go down there and save those humans. I'm occupied. Is that not how most of us operate? I have work. I have family. I have life. I have a job at camp. I have a place. I can't, God. That's not humility. That's Pride. Listen, folks, I've got this all week long. 
Y'all can smile. I'm smiling. Listen, it's going to be okay. God is good. Amen. Amen. When we make excuses, when we reason, when we rationalize, we have the mindset of the disciples, not of Jesus. These 12 men we read here in John 13, they were sent to prepare for the Passover meal. And so they went and they got the upper room and they got the dining room table set and ready. And yet something was missing. The servant of the home, the lowliest, the filthiest, the worst job that no one wanted to do, the job of the slave who would clean the filthy feet of guests upon arrival was nowhere to be found. And yet the disciples were too busy with themselves, too preoccupied with their image, with what they needed to do, with where they needed to sit, that they were unwilling to do what needed done. They were so worried about their position and their placement at the table that they forsook their humble position before God. And so Jesus Christ himself, who had no business doing it, did what they would not do. Imagine for a moment how embarrassing that had to be. Imagine for a moment how humiliating, how shameful it was to be sitting there at the table that night. Here you are thinking about yourself, making sure you're skirt or whatever, robe, whatever you had, make sure it's just buttoned up just right, right? You're sitting at the table. Here you are thinking about yourself and how there are a thousand reasons you shouldn't have to be the one to wash feet and how you are justified not washing feet and how that should be Bartholomew's job because he hasn't done it before and how that should be Peter's job because he's the loudmouth. We are sitting there thinking about every reason we shouldn't have to. You're thinking you have seniority. I've been here the longest. I'm part of the inner three. I should not have to wash feet. Maybe you've prepared all the food. You've done your work. It's someone else's job to serve. And then all of a sudden, the son of God himself gets down on his knees and does what you were unwilling to do. That would be embarrassing. That would be shameful. That would be totally humiliating. Amen? The Messiah, the Christ, the foretold one, the promised one, God gets down and does what you would not do. Yet, can I tell you, he's still doing the same thing today. He's still doing what you're not willing to do. What do I mean? If he comes to you and says, I need you to do this, and you say, nope, too busy, thinking to myself, not going to do it, he will find someone in his body who is willing to do it. You will face the same embarrassment the disciples did that night. Be cautious. As he calls you, answer the call. I don't know about you, but I do not want to miss a single opportunity to take the care of Christ. But sometimes it's a priority problem. Sometimes it's a priority problem. Because sometimes we're just frankly not paying attention to what's going on around us. It's interesting that all the Gospels point to this story, and yet there's no one who really comes out and says where this missing servant is. All of dinner is set, the table is set, but there's this servant missing and no one tells us why. It's almost like until Jesus stoops down and until he goes down and serves them, the thought of this need never crossed their mind. This need had been neglected and forgotten until then because they were too busy, too preoccupied. And so it is with many of us. Look up here, listen. So often we are so preoccupied with ourselves We are so preoccupied with our families, with our schedules, with our careers, with our lives, that we neglect to even see the needs of those around us. This is a painful, painful lesson I've had to learn the hard way. Listen, listen up here. Being too busy is a pride issue. 
We prioritize our time above the time of everyone else, and it is a sin. It is not like Christ. When you are too busy to see the needs that Christ sees, the lowly jobs that no one else seems to notice, you are lacking the mind of Christ. Think back all the times in the Bible that we read of Jesus doing what no one else would do. We read of him here washing feet. We read of him going ashore and cooking a meal for the disciples. We read of him embracing the little children. We read of him sitting with the rejects and the outcasts. We see him spending time with the unpopular people. Jesus met the needs that others overlooked, that others had forgotten about, that others had never noticed. Listen. When your life is too busy, when your life is so preoccupied that you never notice the needs, listen, your life is too full of you. Why? Christ noticed. When you're in the fellowship hall, do we all enjoy going out to the fellowship hall and eating? When we go out to the fellowship hall and you see that trash is overflowing, do you just toss your plate on top? Do you just assume someone else is going to take it out because they always do? Uh Uh-huh, I heard that, yes. I know you do. Or do you take the garbage out yourself? When that sink is overflowing with dishes, do you step up and wash the pile, or do you just toss yours along? When there's someone sitting alone, do you pull up a chair next to them? Or do you go sit with who you always sit? Listen, folks, well, I shouldn't have to do that. Well, someone else will do it. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Listen, you lack the care of Christ. Why? He saw the needs that no one else saw. He did the deeds that no one else would do. Case and Cal and Javi, Peyton, listen. When mom's fixing dinner, do you go help? Dad, listen up here. When the dishes are full in the sink, do you pitch in? Mom, when the trash needs taken out, do you lend a hand? That's not my job. That's the point, people. Humility does what you should not have to do. How about serving your wife once in a while? How about tending to your husband's needs every now and again? How about helping mom in the kitchen? Folks, what has happened to the mind of Christ? Emptied for others, serving others, humbled for others. Some of you are texting the pastor right now saying, please speed back. You are not getting here fast enough. This kid has lost his mind. Listen. Jesus had no business doing what he did, and he did it anyways. But first you have to see it. First you have to see the need in the first place. You have to see the care in the first place. You can't ignore it. You can't have tunnel vision on with your own little life and expect to have the mind of Christ. When we get to camp and that kid is missing his mom and having a rough day, are you going to even see him? Listen, there's 500 of them scurrying around. How am I going to see the one? Are you going to see him? Jesus would have. Do you know, Jesus, how many times he went and sought out an individual? Jesus, who had thousands of people following him, went and sought out the one. The pastor just preached that Sunday night. Are you going to go out of your way to go talk to that kid who's missing mom? Are you going to go out of your way to help the need that is there? Listen, if you see a need that's going on, but it's not your department, are you going to pitch in? Doesn't matter what your job description says. Will you care like Christ? Will you say, here I am, Lord, send me. I'm willing to do what no one else will do. Yet not only does the care of Christ prioritize the unseen needs, but the care of Christ, listen, prioritizes the person. 
This has been the one that I've had the hardest time swallowing this week. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 20, 25. But Jesus called unto him and said, Ye know the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. Listen, verse 26. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Verse 27. And whosoever will be the chief among you, let him be your servant. Are we allowed to have that in American Bibles? Are we allowed to have that in Sandhill Bibles? Jesus says in verse 27 or 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but came to minister and gave his life as a ransom for many. Listen. Jesus here is comparing the carnal kingdoms. He's comparing the Americas, the Englands, the Germany. He's comparing these carnal kingdoms of this earth with his kingdom. He says here in this world, your kingdoms hold authority over you. They say, I have authority over you, and they dangle it above you. Jesus says, in my kingdom, that is not so. Those who follow after me will not act that way. Instead, Jesus says... The greatest Christian is him who goes the lowest. The chiefest among us is those who are most like a slave. Why? Because to be a Christian is to be like Christ, and even Christ came not to be served, but Christ came to serve others. Listen, folks, servanthood is at the core, the very corner. It is the very makeup of Christianity because it is the very makeup of Christ himself. Jesus uses this word servant 73 times in the gospel. The word in the original text is the word doulos in, in the Koine Greek. And the word doulos really should have been interpreted as the word we would understand as slave. Do you grasp what Jesus is saying here? Jesus says, in your world, everyone wants to be a ruler. Everyone wants to be a leader. Someone important, someone prestigious, someone who gets to be served. But in the kingdom of God, my followers, they desire to serve others, to be the slave. What does a slave do? A slave is someone who does what the person who owns them tells them. They are literally bound to do the will of another. Their life no longer belongs to them. They are now at the beckon of their master. Jesus says, even I, even the Son of God came to be a slave for service. So shouldn't you? This is something the Lord has been working in my life on for weeks now. It has not been easy. I have talked to Jenny probably to death about this. We, alert, we work a lot around here, amen? class. We work a lot around here, amen? amen? We labor plenty, plenty. Jesus did not say that the Son of God came to work, and you should too. He didn't say that. Jesus did not say, I came to work and so you should work. He did not say that the hardest worker among us will be the greatest in his kingdom. That is not what he said. What's the difference? Look, work focuses on the process. Serving focuses on the person. Tell me that's not Jesus' life. 
Maybe that doesn't mean a lot to anybody else. Maybe that was just the point for Josh Sorrell. But I can get pretty wrapped up in labor. I can get pretty wrapped up in the tasks at hand. I can get pretty wrapped up in the work that needs done. And I can easily forget all about the people I am working on behalf of. Sister Wilma, I can get so busy gluing on little ant legs onto matchsticks that I totally forget that some little boy or some little girl might come to know Jesus because of that little fire ant. I can get so caught up in preparing meals, I can get so caught up in preparing sleeping arrangements, I can get so caught up in creating teams that I totally forget the greatest need of every one of those people is Jesus Christ. I'm focusing on the process and not the person. Working and serving are not the same things, folks. And I pray we get that. We work a lot. Are we serving? If you go to camp and do whatever your packet says and you do it perfectly with precision, thank you, but you may still neglect the greatest needs of those around you. You may have worked, but you have not served. I too often lose sight of the fact that I am here to serve these people at camp. I am not here to work for them. I am here to serve them, humbly point them to Jesus. Maybe what we need here, Brother Mark, this morning was telling us about how we should have yokes stacked in the foyer so when you come in, you put your yoke on, and I rather like that idea. But maybe what we should do instead, maybe each of us should go and we should buy a pair of shackles. And maybe every single one of us should daily wear shackles upon our wrists. And every time we look down, maybe we should realize that our life is not our own, that someone else owns us, and we have been sold into slavery of Jesus Christ. My life now belongs to him. As Paul says, I am not the greatest among you. I identify as a slave to Christ. He is my master. And guess what? As my master, he has sent me to serve. Folks, are you serving the people around you? But not only can we have the consciousness of Christ, not only should we have the cares of Christ, if we will do that, Jesus himself promises we can have the contentment of Christ. The contentment of Christ. Look at verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Look up here, look up here, look up here, look up here, look up here. Do you believe that? Was Jesus fibbing? We better hope not, folks. Hello. Was Jesus fibbing? Was this a stretch? Was he using hyperbole? Was he exaggerating? Was he pulling our chain? Did Jesus mean this verse? Absolutely. So, how do you be happy? Do these things. As the, that's what Jesus says. If you'll do what I have done, if you will serve others, you will be happy. We've been doing camp for 13 years now. Goodness. And no doubt we have seen our fair share of unhappy campers. Amen. There are plenty of people to complain and bicker and gripe. It is not hard to find a negative Nancy or a feisty Freddy aplenty. And yet, there are very few and far between happy campers at camp. Amen. Those of you who have been there before, amen. Is there anyone who would like to come back from camp fulfilled, happy, joyful? Is there anyone who would like to come back closer to God than you went? 
Is there anyone who would like to come back overflowing with God's hand upon your life like never before? Jesus says if you will do this, you will be blessed. You will be guaranteed happiness if you will do it. Jesus uses this verse, uh, this word again in Matthew 5, 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, blessed, happy are those who are poor, those who are lowly in spirit, those who think of themselves less, theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. This is just a little bit of imagination, but imagine we get up to heaven, right? And we go up there. And after living a life of servitude, after serving others with our entire lives, Jesus looks to us and says, well done, thy good and faithful. You get the kingdom. Tosses us the keys. Is that not what he's saying here? Yours will be the kingdom. Who? Those who are lowly in spirit, poor in spirit. The perfection of paradise is yours. My kingdom that I went away to prepare, it's yours. Why? Because you were lowly, because you were humble, because you served those around us. I, I have a friend who says this. I'll never forget it. I, I have this up on the wall at the ministry center. But he said this. Do you think Jesus is a liar? Anybody? Do you think Jesus is a liar? No. He said, then don't expect him to say, well done, if you didn't do well. That'll sting a little. <clears throat> Don't, he's not a liar. He's not going to get up there and say it if you didn't do well. He's not going to get up there and say good and faithful servant if you did not serve. Hello. He is not a liar. He will not say it unless you did it. If you want to hear well done, good and faithful servant, you got to serve and you got to serve well. Amen. Amen. Do you want to be happy? Not just today, not just at camp, but every day of your life here on earth. Follow the example that Jesus gave. He promises, if you will, he guarantees blessings. He guarantees happiness will be yours. You can go to camp and be a happy camper for the long haul. If you will do these things, are you willing to be intentional not just in working, but in serving those around you? Are you willing to meet the needs that no one else sees? Are you willing to be made the least of these, to do the jobs that no one else wants to do? Are you willing to be a slave that serves for the king? If so, Jesus himself says you will be happy. You will be a happy camper. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.